I would like to welcome everybody that's watching tonight and also that will watch this on archive. And uh, we're glad that you're joining us for again for Life Shape tonight. And uh, tonight's uh, uh, teaching is on the great white throne judgment as we continue to work our way through the basic truths of the Bible. And we're excited about it and uh, glad that you're watching and pray that you'll get something out of this tonight that you can share with those that you're teaching and, and uh, discuss with those that are with you as you're watching tonight. God bless you. Uh, our senior pastor, Dr. Hammonds, is celebrating uh, what in America we call Thanksgiving uh, with his family this week, and he'll be back uh, next week, Lord willing. And, and uh, so you get me tonight, so just, uh, yeah. All right. We'll try to make this brief and amazing. How's that sound? Get you out of here so you can enjoy Thanksgiving. Amen. <laughs> I don't know, something about this time of year, I always feel closer to God. I know it's, uh, I do. I just feel closer to the Lord. I guess it's because I just spent a week up in Baltimore walking in the nice cold weather and being a Canadian, that was like a breath of bon air. Amen. For moi. Great fresh air for me. Anyway, uh, the great white throne judgment. Wow. We're going to discuss this and uh, let's get right into the scripture. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. We're going to start there. If you have your Bible or if you got your iPhone or your uh, Android device or whatever you got working for you. Just uh, take even a good old uh, book with paper in it. That's great. You know, the Bible. And uh, Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not written, found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Very sobering words indeed. Amen. And we need not to lose sight of it. And we're going to find out some of the reasons why it's important not to lose sight of the end. Amen. Because this is a time when uh, everything is culminating. It's, it's rushing towards the end of of this world and time as we know it. And God is setting up uh, his eternal kingdom and uh, establishing. Of course, the eternal kingdom is, has always been ongoing because God's eternal and he's the king and he's always on the throne. But there's a certain aspect to this that it begins to manifest and uh, in, a, in, a, in a different way and it becomes evident that God is totally redoing something, almost bringing us back, so to speak, to the culmination of his great plan. And so let's look at some important points tonight. I tried not to be too verbose, but I have a feeling I probably was on these points. And so, first of all, a final day of reckoning is coming for all, small and great, you, me, everyone, in addition to the devil and his angels. A day of reckoning is coming. Amen. Secondly, the great white throne judgment is a motivator to trust in Christ and to live a holy life. We'll explore that in a little while. 
Thirdly, the great white throne judgment is a motivator to evangelism, telling everyone the gospel that if they will believe and trust in Jesus, they will be saved from the wrath to come, the final eternal day of judgment. We cannot reach people beyond the grave. And so knowing that there is a judgment, this should be a motivation for us to witness and to tell others about Christ. Number four, Future events in God's timetable, such as the great white throne judgment, are being withheld at the moment because of God's mercy. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9. Amen. Number five. Only those whose names are found written in the Lamb's book of life will be allowed to live eternally with the Lord. The rest will live eternally in torment in the lake of fire, the second death. Sixthly, the great white throne judgment will finally satisfy our inner longing for justice. And we'll explore that concept in a little while. Number seven, knowing that there is coming a final day of reckoning gives us the understanding and helpful foundation to be able to forgive those who have done us wrong. We can forgive others through Christ freely because we know one day all accounts will be settled. This is important to meditate on and think about. Number eight, the great white throne judgment will result in God's ultimate glory as he more fully displays his character in justice, holiness, wrath, mercy, and kindness. And so we'll move on. Now let's just sort of take apart Revelation chapter 20, and I'll just try to give some comments about it, all right? And if you miss any of these points, you can always download them online and get them, all right? And uh, scriptures and comments, all right. Firstly, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Something as I read about this today it struck me that this is the throne of the Lord, the God Almighty. Amen. This is his throne we're talking about. We note that it's a white throne. White in Scripture always indicates, or usually, most often, indicates righteousness and purity. So God sits on the throne of the universe, and he rules and reigns, and he is sitting on a white throne indicating his righteousness and his purity. This is going to be a pure judgment day. Amen. There is no shadow of turning with God. There is no uh, potential falsehood in his character. It's, he is absolutely just and absolutely merciful. So it's a throne indicating it's the highest court of the universe. There is no appeal from this judge or this judgment. If God so chose to send us all to hell, to whom should we appeal? That is how we should think and understand God's sovereignty. Psalm 115, verse 3, God sits in the heavens and does whatever he wants to. Okay? Now, he does always work in character, or rather in, in coordination, so to speak, with his own character. And his character is 100% holy and just and 100% merciful and graceful and loving. And God always acts in concert with his character. But he is on the throne, and there is no higher court. And so 
whatever God says at this moment goes. Amen. That's very humbling, isn't it? Because we like to think we're the masters of our own destiny, or we act like we are, even if we don't just overtly think it. We act like we're the masters of our own destiny, but in fact, we are not. God's sitting on the throne. And the one seated on the throne is Jesus Christ. John 5, 27 says, He, the Father, has given Him, Jesus, authority to execute judgment because He's the Son of God. 2 Timothy 4, 1, Paul said, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. All judgment, all authority in Matthew 28 is given unto Jesus Christ. Acts 10.42 says, And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. All right, let's move on in Revelation 20. From his presence, the Bible says, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. You know, Revelation, remember, tells us that there's a blessing for anybody that reads this book. Amen. So when you read even tough stuff like this, you should be getting a blessing. (laughs) Because I'll tell you, when you begin to think about how God's on the throne, he's in control. This is not a, a, a contest in the universe between two equals, the devil and God. As if somehow they're fighting it all out on some plane somewhere and sometimes the devil wins and sometimes God wins. Oh no, my friends, God wins all the time in every circumstance, in every situation, even when we don't understand. The the devil is already a defeated foe. And so is death, hell, and the grave. Well, this vision that we have here of God being on the throne is really part of Daniel chapter 7. And I didn't highlight it, but you can look there. Daniel 7, verses 9 through 10 says, As I looked, the great vision that Daniel had, he says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Wow. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. Wow. And of course, John the Revelator, knowing the book of Daniel is brought back to this awesome, awesome description of the throne of God and the judgment that was to ensue. The judgment proceeds according to two criteria. This is from the uh, New Bible Commentary. It says this, The judgment proceeds according to two criteria. First, according to what they had done. And secondly, the testimony of the books. 
This latter feature is taken from Daniel 7.10, which reflects both ordinary court procedure and the habit of Persian kings to record every detail of events in their provinces. The important thing is that the joint testimony of the two criteria agree, and the book of life will reveal it. So you have two things going on here. You have, you have them brought before, brought before the great king, and, and it's, they're told exactly what they had done, and then they compare it to what is written down. And so two or more agree is touching anything, right? And uh, God works this way. Revelation 20 verse 11 says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name <clears throat> excuse me, was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is a final judgment, as I mentioned. Notice that there are books. One is the record of deeds that people have done, and the other is the book of life. All in the book of life have no part in the second death. If your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life, you have no part in the second death that ensues after the great white throne judgment. Thank God. Apparently, there are degrees of punishment in eternity. This is important for us to understand as well. Jesus said the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour when he, he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And the servant who knew his master's will but not, did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him will much be required. And from him uh, to whom they have entrusted much, they will demand the more. Luke 12, 46 through 48. Some aspect is involved here that seems to indicate there are levels of punishment even in the lake of fire in eternity. And uh, so it's just realizing that God himself is even just, even in the uh, meeting out of his punishment. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit about a broader theme relative to judgment in the scriptures. How many of you have ever had anybody say to you as you're talking to them about the Lord or maybe try to encourage them not to sin, you know, come on, you got to live right. And they'll say, well, Judge not, lest you be judged. Anybody had that thrown up at you any time in your life? Yeah, we all have, right? They just sort of, isn't that funny how anybody, any, this one scripture, anybody knows, it's always going to be the one from Matthew 7, right? They have no idea where it comes from. It's sort of like a bird in a hand, it's worth two in the bush. That's got to be in like the book of Hezekiah somewhere. There is no book of Hezekiah, by the way. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's where they put all the sayings that sound like the Bible, but they're really not, you know. But this one happens to be in the Bible in Matthew chapter 7. In, and Jesus says, judge not, lest you be judged. And the, the thing is, right in the same passage, right in the context, let me give you some ammunition when somebody says, judge not, lest you be judged. But you know that in the same passage, Jesus calls us to make moral judgments about many different things. What he's saying is, don't judge somebody with a different standard than you judge yourself with. Right? 
And so, we are called also, the Bible says, we're saints will judge angels. Did you know that in 1 Corinthians? Pastor Ron talked about that at some point in the not-too-distant past. And he says, uh, and we're called to judge false prophets. Here's some things that we're called to judge in the Scripture, all right? False prophets, candidates for pastoral ministry. We're to judge whether or not their lives meet up with the standard that God gives us in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus and in other places in the Scripture. Candidates for pastoral ministry. Candidates for the office of a deacon. Candidates for eldership. We're to judge ourselves with respect to taking communion. And we're to judge many other things in Scripture. So don't let somebody just, you know, wash a judge not lest you be judged. It's usually the guy with the whiskey in, the, in his hand. Yeah. <laughs> Hebrews 9.27. Let's look at some other Scriptures here. I'm just going to read these to you, and then we'll just sort of sum up, all right? And just as it, is an, as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, all right? So judgment is awaiting us all. Where you go depends on what you did this side of your death. We're all going to die unless the Lord comes back. We're all going to die. We're all going to meet God. And we need to believe in Christ so that we will not have a part in the second death, in eternal fire, in eternal judgment. Amen. Acts 17. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Amen. Romans 2, 5 to 8. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, he's talking to, to uh, people that should have known better, all right? Talking to Jews that, that didn't want to uh, conform to uh, the standard of Christ, they didn't want to come to Christ. They thought that they could have it all because they were religiously inclined. But Paul goes on, he says, you are without excuse. And he says, because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. Later on, he clarifies how you get eternal life. You get it by believing in Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. And, and then he says, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Wow. Isn't this edifying? It really is. The scripture is powerful. It's motivational. It should speak deep to us. 2 Peter 3, 7 to 10. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, 
but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Powerful scriptures, amen? Powerful scriptures. Now I want to go back to our our important points, and I'm going to reiterate them and make a couple of comments about just two or three of them, all right? Number one, a final day of reckoning is coming for all, small and great, you, me, everyone, in addition to the devil and his angels. The great white throne judgment is a motivator to trust in Christ and to live a holy life. This should wake us up in the morning, troubling us that souls are dying and going to hell. May God grant us a compassion that overwhelms our daily cares of life to the point where we will be unafraid to share Jesus and we will look for opportunities to share Christ with people. Amen? I, you know, the Holy Spirit wants to work with you on this. He wants to work with me on this. If you are sitting beside someone, ask God for a way to witness to them, an open door, some aspect of conversation, some way to reach them. And then open your mouth and begin to speak. The Holy Spirit will lead you. He will guide you. He will show you things to come. He will convict them of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. A lot of people say, well, I just want the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's great. You know, the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict of righteousness and judgment to come. So may God use us. Amen? The great white throne judgment is a motivator to evangelism. Fourthly, future events in God's timetable, such as the great white throne judgment, are being withheld at the moment because of God's mercy. It is by His mercy that we're not consumed. Amen? Thank God. This gives us more opportunity to share the Lord, and millions are coming to Christ. More than any time in world history, the church is alive and well. Only those whose names are found written in the Lamb's Book of Life will be allowed to live eternally with the Lord. The rest will live eternally in torment in the lake of fire, the second death. Listen, don't let the philosophy of this world get you away from a firm conviction that there is a hell. There is an eternity for lost people that do not or refuse to receive Christ as Lord. Listen, I want to tell you this one more time. I said it a few weeks ago. Hell is shut and locked from the inside. People will go to hell because they want to be there, not because they haven't had an opportunity to hear the gospel. They go to hell because they want to be there. Their ungodly hearts and desires drive them to a place of continuous rebellion against the gospel and against the Lord. And hell is locked from the inside. That's the tragedy of hell. The great white throne judgment will finally satisfy our inner longing for justice. I don't know about you. Do you have do you ever wonder, look at the evils of this world and wonder where is justice? Where is the justice of God? Where is, 
you know, what, what, what is going on? Why is there evil in the world? Why does God seem to wait so long? Why do the innocent seem to suffer and the, uh, and, and the, the unrighteous seem to go unpunished for so long? Listen, there is a day of reckoning coming when Almighty God in His holy justice will set everything right and it will be right because He will make it so. Amen. We may not understand. Listen, because there is a great white throne judgment, we then are encouraged by the Scripture not to take revenge or vengeance into our own hands. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So he alone will be, should be left to be the final arbiter of all things right and just, and he will set it right. So don't take things into your own hands. Be like Jesus. And though he was killed, un even as an unrighteous man, and yet he was holy and pure, he willingly gave his life as a sacrifice. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, who on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The martyr Stephen is standing, the first martyr of the church recorded in Acts. He's standing as people are pummeling him and gnashing on him with their teeth, angry at him with an unholy vengeance, trying to squelch the testimony of the gospel of Christ, the very life of God, trying to squeeze it out of him. And to his last breath, he's lifting up his eyes in heaven and says, I see Jesus standing on the right hand of the throne of God. And he's ready to receive it. Lord, I commit my spirit to you. He says, lay not this sin to their charge. Excuse me for preaching. Man, that got all over me. Holy smoke. Oh. Okay. I'm sorry for yelling, but my goodness. Oh, sweet Jesus. So what should you do if you've been mistreated? Anybody been mistreated? Everybody, anybody been um, you know, persecuted and hurt and, and you wonder how on earth, you know, people treated you bad and you didn't do anything wrong and life just seems to deal you some cruddy junk. What are you going to do? How are you going to handle it? Are you just going to get mad and upset and blame the only one who has the answer? You better not. You better trust in the living God. Paul said, we were afflicted on every side. We had troubles everywhere. We didn't know what to do. And he says, we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in the living God. He himself, the great apostle Paul, I think had to go through some of the junk he went through. God has set forth the apostles last he said. The offscouring of the world, those born out of due time so that they could be an example to us upon whom the ends of the earth are come. May God give us grace to forgive those who treat us, malign us, and say all manner of evil against us falsely. Let us, like Peter, rejoice, giving glory to God because we were worthy to have suffered for his name. Oh, may God help us. And may God grant every persecuted Christian in this world a vision beyond the 
horribleness of their situations in jails and in beatings often and in shipwreck and in sorrow and in starvation. And may God give us a vision, what the old reformers used to call the beatific vision of Christ, risen and exalted, high above all. Knowing that there's coming a final day of reckoning gives us understanding and helpful foundation to be able to forgive those who have done us wrong. We can forgive others through Christ freely because we know one day all accounts will be settled. And I want to say another thing in, in this line. Would you make sure you forgive yourself? You know, you ask Christ to forgive you, and that's great. And he does. Do you know, there's a lot of us that walk around, and, and you need to realize you need to forgive yourself too. And you need to forgive those that are closest to you. Because often you're hurt most by those that are closest to you, aren't you? Right? Lastly, the great white throne judgment will result in God's ultimate glory as he more fully displays his character in justice, holiness, wrath, mercy, and kindness. Even judgment reveals the glory of God because it's pure and right. Shall not the judge of the whole earth do right?